Take your Bible and turn with me to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. Most of us with cars have lights on our dashboard, and one of those lights might be there to indicate that we need an oil change. One of those lights might be there to indicate that we need some uh, maintenance to our engine, and that light is there. And the first time you see that light, you might not be real concerned, but it's not the light itself that's the problem. It's what that light represents. The light is just a symptom of something much deeper. And then one of you guys uh, might want to pretend like you know what you're doing. And so you pop the hood and, and maybe jiggle the wires a little bit to impress whoever's with you. But you really don't have a clue. You don't have a clue. You just know that that light's on and it represents a deeper problem. And so if it's a newer vehicle, you take it to the dealer because the dealer represents the maker. And the, you, you don't know all the problems, uh, but the maker does. The maker knows all of the intricacies of that vehicle. The maker has all the parts in order to make things right. And so when all else fails, you go to the, the maker. Well, in your life, there are indicator lights that will pop on. And those lights aren't the problem. Those lights really are just showing you that there is a deeper problem and hopes that you'll go to your maker. And you go to your maker and you go in prayer and you get into your Bible. You find out what's wrong. And the indicator light that I want to deal with today is what the world calls depression. Depression. I want to preach a message entitled Deliverance from Depression. In John chapter 16, verse number 33, we have the words of Jesus Christ. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Jesus said, be of good cheer. You can be of good cheer because Jesus said, I've already overcome one of your greatest enemies, and that's the world. And so you can have deliverance from what the world calls depression. Let's pray and we'll look at the scriptures. Father, thank you for your word. I do pray that you would let your word speak to us, minister to us. There are needs all over this room. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would just use your word as the, the balm to meet those needs wherever they're found. Lord, I pray that we would cherish the words of our Savior who told us to be of good cheer. And Lord, we don't have to be overcome by the world. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for precious passages like this, and I do pray for your power as I preach. I, I do want to be a blessing and a help. I pray that folks would be edified and built up in the faith today through the preached word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Putting depression in definable terms is not an easy task. 
I don't claim to have the perfect definition, but I'll say this, when it comes into your life, you'll know it. Um, the Bible definition, the Bible wording for this is being cast down. Look at Psalm chapter 42. Psalm chapter 42. That idea of being cast down is what we see in the scriptures. Rather than help people with depression, the world has chosen to make money off of what they call depression. The Bible tells us that this feeling is a reality, a feeling of being cast down. Psalm 42, verse number 5, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Stop there. Uh, Think in your life. Okay, you're preaching to young people, Pastor Lewis. I remember being in Bible college. And I remember my soul being cast down. I've got many a memory walking back from this building to the dorm being cast down. I've got many a memory going into one of those piano rooms with my Bible, with my soul being cast down. And so I believe that this is especially appropriate for who I'm preaching to today. Verse 6, therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites from the hill Mazar. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Ever felt that way? The waves and billows are just going over you. Cast down. It doesn't matter if it's an 85-year-old woman or an 18-year-old young man. What the world calls depression, what the Bible calls being cast down, we'll see further what the Bible calls having a heart that's overcharged. It's a reality. It's a reality for young people and old people alike, all ages of life. People are depressed. The National Institute of Mental Health reported that in 1990, depression cost the United States $44 billion. Today it costs $210 billion. 68 million work days are lost, blamed on depression. Depression is second only to heart disease and causing people to miss work. So whatever you want to call it, it's something that is affecting people. It's the leading cause of alcoholism, drug abuse, and other addictions. It's a real thing. The liquor stores thrive off of depression. I think one of the encouraging things in my life and I hope it'll be an encouragement to you as well, is that many of God's choicest servants struggle with this very thing that I'm preaching on today. Charles Spurgeon had amazing bouts where he'd just have to get alone for days on end and just get his heart right with God. Winston Churchill, one of the greatest leaders of this era, said this, depression followed me around like a black dog all of my life. It may be that in some ways in your life you feel 
like you're being followed around by that black dog of depression. Many years ago, a a lawyer in this area suffered with such serious bouts of depression that his friends thought it was wise to keep knives and razors from him. During that time in his life, he said, quote, I am now the most miserable man living. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. Those words were spoken by Abraham Lincoln. You see, it doesn't matter if you're a student sitting in the seat this morning or if you have the potential of being president of the United States of America. This is a reality. Now, I hope this isn't true in this room, but statistically speaking, one out of every seven of you will seek professional treatment for what the world calls depression. And what I want to say on the authority of the word of God, we don't need professional help. We have a savior. And he's given us the prescription to overcome this thing. All over the place, people are depressed. And I think the sad part of what I have to say today is that they continue. I see it as a pastor. They continue in what keeps them depressed. And so it just is a vicious cycle that they never get out of. And, and you say to yourself, you know, as a Christian leader, and, and I say to you this morning, if, if, you, if, if it's something that you're causing, if, if it's something that you're causing, then why stay on that vicious cycle? It's cruel to yourself. People use medication to mask the symptoms. You know, cold medication really doesn't cure the cold. It just masks the symptoms. And that medication that they give to people who are depressed, all it does is, in some ways, it makes the symptoms worse, but it's an attempt to mask the symptoms. This medication that's given out has serious, serious side effects. Many of these are physical side effects. I saw one that can trigger diabetes and even cause death. So you destroy your health, your physical health, in order to feel better mentally? That's crazy. The pharmaceutical industry gets rich, and the patient gets sadder and sadder and sadder. The doctor will mix in one depression medication with another, and when your body builds up an immunity to that, he'll throw a third one in the mix. Just keep on medicating. What that doctor won't tell you is that depression is many times a spiritual problem. It is a spiritual problem. It is part of spiritual warfare. You say, I have that. I, I, I can't put it into words. And, and it may be that on the surface, I can't put my finger on one thing that's wrong, but I know that I'm cast down. What is it? Spiritual warfare. And I want to help you today in that warfare through this message. You know, there's nothing wrong with treating a physical problem with a physical remedy. If I get sick, give me Dayquil and leave me alone. I want to go to bed and forget about it. But, but see, that's, that's treating a physical issue, not a spiritual issue. Okay? We treat our spiritual issues with the medication of God's 
word. I talked to one guy that was on depression medication, and he told me, he said he read the, 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 the label, he read the, the instructions, and he's taking this pill for depression, and it says one of the side effects is that it may cause depression. That's the world we live in. They don't have the answers. But God does. And the answer is right at your fingertips. And you might say, can I shake this thing off? I want it gone. I want what Jesus calls peace in John chapter 16. Can I shake it off? Here in our text, Christ said that it can be defeated and deliverance gained. Not in a pill. Not in a bottle. Not in a phone. Not in a movie. Not in food. But first of all, we see the man of peace. Who is the man of peace? Look at verse number 33 in John chapter 16. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. Me. He is rejected. My daughter and I were out knocking on doors on Saturday, and we met uh, an agnostic, and we also met an atheist. The atheist was very hostile. I mean, he was mean. I mean, he just, he tried to rip us apart. And at the end of the conversation, he just said, this conversation's over. And I just said, okay, <laughs> Lois, let's go. It's over. Um, this world has pushed Jesus out. And we wonder why this world is an insane asylum. It's because we've gotten away from the man of peace. And Jesus said very clearly that in me ye might have peace. The answer to the depression epidemic is Jesus Christ. If you walk back to the dorm or wherever you go, like I did many, many years ago, cast down at times, the answer is Jesus Christ. It's not, oh, I'll take a nap. And then I'll go over later to the cafe and then I'll shoot some baskets in the gym and then I'll feel better. No, no, no. In me, Jesus said, you have peace. It could be that there's people in the world looking for peace in a pill. But there's people I'm looking at right now looking for peace in some other thing other than Jesus Christ. You've gotten away from the man of peace. Now, it's interesting to me that he wants us to have peace. It's comforting to me. It's certainly reassuring. He used that word many times in his teaching, peace be unto you, peace. He wants us to have peace. Not peace, by the way, so that we can be selfish with it and sit at our ease in Zion, but peace so that we can preach the gospel and do something for his honor and glory. But he wants us to have peace. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. Now, you may have charm. You may have charisma, you may have toys, you may have temporary pleasure, but if you don't have peace, you will spend your years as a tale that is told and you will end this life miserable. Peace. As we study the Bible, we see that Christ, when he was on earth, and even now, is peace personified. Whenever somebody walked up to Jesus, they were meeting peace. He is peace. And so if I want some peace, don't you think it's a good idea that I check in with him? He has it. 
Now for the lost, there is no peace. No peace to the wicked. But peace can be made when a person comes to Christ. Keep your place here in John 16, but look over with me at Ephesians. I want peace. I want peace. And so I must go to the man of peace. And the first time that's done is at salvation. This verse reinforces John chapter 16 that peace is in a person. Look with me, Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 13. The Bible says, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. Who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. He is our peace. I don't have to look for peace in what this world looks for peace in. I don't have to do that. And the day I got saved, I was drawn nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I don't want to stay real long on this point. But if there is just a total absence of peace in your life, you want to make sure that you're saved. And let me remind you, you don't get saved because you pray a prayer. You get saved because you come to a person to redeem your soul. And the evidence of that is a changed life. Peace. We must come to him. If you don't have Christ as your Savior, that wall of partition, look at that wall of partition in verse number 14, the middle wall of partition. Now, I understand the idea there is the, 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 the Jew and the Gentile, but there is a wall between you and God if you are not saved. And that wall can only be broken down when you come to the man of peace, the man of peace. He is our peace. He not only wants the lost to find peace, but we who name the name of Christ to have peace. Look at John, go back to John and look at chapter 14. John 14, verse number 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. that, That can be a tall order at times, depending on what's going on in your life. Right? Let not your heart be troubled. Now, if if somebody else other than the Lord said that to me, I might be tempted to, to say, shut up. You don't know what I'm going through right now. But look who's saying it. The man of peace. He wants us to have peace. He is the source of peace. I had a um, an air mattress some years ago, just a simple air mattress, and it, it sprouted a hole somewhere. And I looked and looked and looked, trying to find that hole. You know, you wet it to see if you can see where it's bubbling and all of this type of thing. I'm trying to find the hole in this air mattress, the source of the problem. You know, you, you go to sleep on this thing, and it's nice and fluffy, and you wake up, and you're flat on your back. What, what, what's the source And and I never could find that hole. And the world is trying to see, where where do we find peace? Where is it? And they never find the source. And and what they do with the medications and, 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 and the doctors and all of this, and what you might be doing in your own little way with other things that I mentioned, is you're trying to put a band aid on a gunshot wound. Good luck. It won't work. 
until you make a decision to get back to the man of peace. Look at Mark chapter 4. Depression is just a word, I believe. Now, you can, if you want, if you want my definition of depression, here it is. The absence of Christ's peace. The absence of Christ's peace. Because when he comes, he brings peace with him. And if there's an absence of peace in my life, then at least in that area, there is an absence of the presence of Christ. And I need to come back. Mark chapter 4, verse number 35. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And the same day when even was come, he saith unto them, let us pass over into the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. There arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. That may be how you feel right now. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Can I tell you that the Lord Jesus Christ can still do that for you in your life? You say, there's a storm. The winds and the waters beating against my vessel. And I don't know what's going to happen. And I wonder, God, don't you care? I'm going to perish. He can say to that storm in an instant, peace be still. But only as you have the wisdom to recognize that you need to go to him. Who did they go to? The man of peace. The man of peace. If there's tempestuous waters in your life, I pray that you'll go to the man of peace. Go back to John chapter 16. We'll look at our second point. We see the man of peace. Secondly, we see the menace of peace. The menace of peace. Now, I I can associate very well with that word menace because I was a great menace as a young man. Okay, great menace. That word menace means troublemaker. Troublemaker. I know we don't have any in this room right now. None. Right? No. Okay. Menace. Troublemaker. What is the troublemaker of our peace? Verse 33 tells us, John 16 These things I have written unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. The world. That word tribulation means severe affliction. It means the root is to thrash and beat. I felt that way at times. Just thrashed and beaten. That's what the world calls depression. The Bible word here can be tribulation. Now, According to the Bible, what, where is the source of this tribulation? Where is the source? The world. Just like Jesus is the true source of peace, the world is the source of tribulation. And so if the world is, is, is thrashing you right now, the root cause of that is the world, and you need to understand that. Because then you won't blame God. Then you won't blame your parents. Then you won't blame your teachers. Then you won't blame the staff, your pastor. Because the tribulation Jesus promised would come from the world. And the tribulation itself isn't always sin. It comes in different forms. But it steals away your peace. And that very easily becomes sin. 
Because you no longer have the presence, the, 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 the peace of Christ that he wants to bring with his presence. It is amazing to see how people try to draw peace from the well of the world and they come up empty every time. Man, it's like trying to drink salt water. You just get thirstier and thirstier and thirstier. And we live in a society where the world is just, it, it, it advertises itself so cleverly, so sneaky, so deceptive. That's why God warns us so much about worldliness. Because God knows if you and I don't, God knows that worldliness will steal our peace. That's why I preach so hard on sin and worldliness. Because I know from the word of God that that is what is taking away the peace of the people I love. If you have that same issue today, it's in some measure taking away your peace. If I stop having the peace of Christ, I need to see if there's any worldliness in my life, in my heart, in my mind, in my home, in my church. Worldliness steals your peace. And so the people of the world go to the doctor who's supposed to have peace in his briefcase. And they find out that he doesn't, and they become even more frustrated, even to the point of suicide. To the extent that the person that's trying to help you is true to the word of God, to that extent and that extent only can they help you with your problem. And so it's important that you get away from anything that is worldly, any ideas, any mindsets that are worldly, if you want peace. Now, you would think... That all of the celebrities have taught us this lesson. That in the world there's no peace. You would think how many more celebrities have to die in the bathtub? How many more celebrities have to have, to have their, their sports career ruined? Hmm? Man, the Tiger Woods was on top of the world. On top of the world. Sin destroyed. You think, you think that brings peace? Stagging around drunk and high in front of a police officer and before the whole nation? You think that brings peace? They don't have peace. But somehow we think the world's going to give us peace. Don't be fooled. The reference point of psychiatrists is not the word of God, but an anti-God philosophy. We have to be careful that we don't start to somehow live by that pop culture mentality, that secular culture mentality, without even knowing. That's why you better be in your Bible, and 10 minutes a day is not enough. I was working with a, a young man that's struggling with, with some worldliness, just wanting to help him. I love him. I, I pray for him. <clears throat> and and I, I just used this illustration. I said, well, you know, you, you struggle with some things. You know, maybe some, some movies you, you shouldn't be watching. How long does that movie last? Two hours. Well, how long do you read your Bible every day? About ten minutes. That's why you're struggling. Okay? The world, if the world has more of you than God does, you're going to stay on that roller coaster you're on. And so there are some people here today that need more of the word of God in their daily diet. That's going to help you distance yourself from the world. 
The world hates God, and the world hates what I'm preaching right now. I talked to a man, and he was taking two or three antidepressants. He was getting frustrated because of the side effects. And he went to his doctor and said, you know, you've given me these three antidepressants. Nothing's getting better. I'm actually getting worse because it's affecting me physically. Why am I paying you for? Okay. Well, I ask you, if you're seeking peace in something else, why are you paying that thing any attention as it's just sapping you of peace and spiritual health? There, there are nothing more important than to be able to get out of bed in the morning wanting to face life, ready to face life. Man, you wipe that sleep out of your eyes. But some people, some people, they, when, when the alarm goes off, when it's time to get up, they hate life. I'm preaching to you this, this morning. I'm preaching to you. You need this. The man of peace is Christ. The menace of peace is the world. Worldly speech, worldly music, worldly movies, worldly friends, worldly dress, worldly paperbacks. Uh, if you know anything about, the, about Chicago, you know all the violence that we've had um, in recent years. It's just been real, 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 real bad. And they're all trying to figure it out from one angle or another. They're blaming each other. Okay? They, they, the politicians, they all blame each other. Uh, this one blames this one, that one blames. It's, it's nobody's, it, it's, it's everybody else's fault except who the real fault person is. <laughs> and that is the enemy of worldliness. Okay? Let me give you an example. Northwestern University, in one of their classes, they had a live immoral act on stage for a class teaching the students about life. Live immoral act. And then they wonder, what's wrong with our city? I hate the world. I hate it. Because it destroys. And some of you love the world. And you can't wonder why you're miserable. Can't figure out. Why you're miserable? Because you're in love with the world. Steals your peace. The man of peace, the menace of peace. And then last, the message of peace. The message of peace. Verse number 33, John chapter 16. Jesus said, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He's paved the way. Christ wants you to be happy. He says, be of good cheer. Cheerfulness should be a characteristic of every one of God's people. And if you walk around looking like you just sucked on 45 lemons, stay away from me. Stay away. (laughs) Be of good cheer. I don't think that means you've got to walk around with a dumb looking smile on your face 24-7. But there ought to be some cheer in your life. That's the message of peace. Jesus said, I'm here. I'm the man of peace. Get away from the world and smile. And smile on the inside, not just the outside, not just an outward show, regardless of the circumstances. You know, get that that crabbiness out of your life. It's destroying you. 
It's like you got a neon sign on your forehead. I am Mr. Krabby. I am Mrs. Krabby. I'm going I'm I'm to quit college and show them how, how, how upset I am. When a rotten apple tree falls off the tree, does it hurt the tree? Hello. When a Christian has cheerfulness, you can face life without falling apart emotionally. The Bible says in Psalm 32, 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that hope in the Lord. Jesus tells us why we can be of good cheer at the end of verse number 33. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. In other words, Jesus says, I've treaded the snow. Now, it is an emotional thing to me. It is a very touching thing to me when we had all that snow. uh, And I'm walking in the snow and my little girl, my little girl, Justine. Oh, Pastor Amakos. Got an introduction to Justine, <clears throat> Energizer Bunny. But when she turns around and says, Dad, I'm walking in your footsteps. You see, I, I look past her little understanding of walking in my footsteps, and I see what, what, what is in reality. She's following her dad. Jesus said, you can be of good cheer. I've already treaded the snow. Where you're going, I've been. And it may seem hard and it may seem frightful and fearful and all of that. But all you got to do is look at those footprints that I've made. I've, I've already overcome the world. You can be of good cheer. Pastor Lewis, what do I do to overcome depression? Let me give you a couple of things here and then I'll be done. Number one, you must have honesty. If some sin is causing this, it is common, but it is wrong. It is wrong. And you need to imagine the awfulness of it and not make excuses for it one man would say well i may drink but i don't get drunk the next might say well i get drunk but i'm not mean when i get drunk the other man says i get drunk and i'm mean but at least i don't beat my wife the other guy says i get drunk i'm mean i beat my wife but at least i don't cheat on her each drunk found a way to show they were better than the other and we play that same game spiritually Wrong when they do it, it's wrong when we do it. If your cast downness is being caused by worldliness, call it what it is. Call it what it is. You must have honesty. Number two, you must have hope. God knew what sins you would struggle with before you were born. And he made provision in his word to help you overcome it. And you've got to have hope. You've got to see yourself living a life without that monkey on your back, without that dog following you around. You've got to see and envision yourself living a life of victory because there's hope in the word of God and through Christ. You can't fix the problem, but your maker can. Your maker can. You must have hope. You must have honesty. And third, you must have help. You need scripture, lots of scripture. We don't read enough Bible. I'm making an indictment. You can say whatever you want when you leave, when you leave here. Uh, our problem is not that we read too much Bible. That is not our problem. And we, we, we kid ourselves when we say, well, I just read three verses because I want to get something out of it. Well, try that at the, at the lunch table. I just took one bite of my lunch because I wanted to get something out of it. Yeah, I want to get something out of it too, but I want to eat it all. 
Have you read the Bible all the way through? No. I haven't, Pastor Lewis. What's wrong with you? Get busy. Get into God's word and not treat it like a textbook, but God's word to you. You need help, and help is found in the scriptures. We have promises. They come with prerequisites at times, but they're there. You also need the help of accountability. You need the help of some stronger brother or sister in Christ. I had a philosophy when I was in college that I still hold to today. I want friends. When I say friends, I mean my intimates. I want friends that are going to help make me stronger. I want to surround myself with men that are going to help me be stronger for the Lord. And when you find one of those types of friends, don't let them go. That's gold. And you can pray together and have some accountability. The Holy Spirit is also there to help. But this is a snake. You need to cut its head off. You don't kill a snake by, by playing with it. You cut its head off. I go back to where I started this message, the indicator light. Is your indicator light on? The light's not the problem. The problem is what's going on in, under the hood. You say, I can't fix it. No, but you take that thing to your maker who has all the parts, knows all the intricacies, and can get that thing straight and get you back on the road rolling for the Lord. Let's bow our heads this time. Stand to our feet. Going to have an invitation. I don't know if the Lord spoke to you, but I do believe I preach what the Lord laid on my heart. And I don't believe that coming to the altar is a magic fix, but I do believe it's a start. And if God did speak to your heart in a definite way, well, why don't you take a little bit of time and make some solid decisions, make some decisions here at the altar <clears throat> that you can take back to your prayer closet, keep that fire going. As the instrument plays, if God spoke to you, you come.